of years, seven times seven years, so that the seven sabbaths of years amount to a period of 49 years. Then, have the trumpet sounded everywhere on earth, the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the fifteenth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each one of you is to return to his family property and each to his own land. The fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap what grows of itself and harvest the unintended vines. For it is a jubilee and is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the leaves. Our next reading is from Amos 5, 11, 15, and 24. You trample on the poor and force him to give you grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. You oppress the righteous and make bribes, and you deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent man keeps quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy. Our gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of God for the people of God. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. I was reflecting earlier this week as I prepared my minister's report for Monday's session meeting. I always let them know what I'm up to here, but I also like to tell them, at least periodically, about some of the other ministry-related things I do in my own free time. And as I looked at the places I volunteer, they are all either nursing homes or prison ministries. And it occurred to me that in many important ways, Residents of personal care homes and incarcerated individuals spend a great deal of time feeling many of the same feelings. 
feelings of brokenness, physical or mental or even spiritual and emotional, feelings of hopelessness and loss of future, feelings of being out of control, always someone else deciding what you'll eat, who you're going to room with, when you take your medicine and go to the bathroom, what you're watching on the community television. And I think that when I think about these ministries, I think about this passage from Luke, where Jesus says that he came to free those who are prisoners, and how he wasn't just talking about literal prisoners. He meant people who feel like prisoners in other ways, too, like the folks who I meet with at the nursing homes, like those who have lost control of their lives due to aging or health-related concerns. And yesterday, Carla and I were at the first team meeting for the next Kairos Outside weekend. Um, it's a ministry to the families of the incarcerated, and you will hear more about that in a few weeks' time as a missions update that Carla and I are going to share. But the icebreaker question at this team meeting was, what prison have you been in in your life? Now, there are a few folks on the team who have been in prison or jail, literally, but for the most part, this was a question that forced each person to reflect on what things in our lives chain us up, even if we're not literal prisoners. It forced everyone to reflect on what cells we are each living in, even if we don't feel like it's a prison cell. The most destructive prisons are often the ones we don't even realize we're living in. Prisoners are not just those who have been incarcerated by the authorities. We are held captive by our own egos. We are imprisoned by wealth and by things. And we are often prisoners of other people as well. There is not a single person in this room who has never been a prisoner. If you sit here today thinking that you are a totally free person, you are fooling yourself. And if you think that your prisons only affect you, you are again fooling yourself. Amos, whose words Carla read, was an angry, angry man. He was an angry prophet. But he was not angry without righteous reason. Amos saw a system in which the rich were getting richer at the expense of the poor, and he knew that that was counter to God's design for the world. The poor were being taxed beyond their means, while the rich bought stuff they didn't really need just because they could. The poor were given less credence in court than the wealthy. The poor were forced by society to do the grunt, dirty grunt work for little or no pay. Certain people groups were given less say or less respect or care in the community because they were a certain color or gender or age or social class. Is any of this beginning to sound eerily and uncomfortably familiar? Through this disregard for the humanity of others, this slavery to the wealth of the world, the people were imprisoning themselves and one another. Now, Amos didn't yet have the words of Jesus to read as we do now, but he certainly had the words of Leviticus, the other passage that we read today. The words that say, every 50th year, everything property and finance related resets, release the slaves, return any property, any land that you bought in the past 50 years to the family you bought it from. Make sure that the playing field is leveled. 
If you have a financial planner or counselor, they will tell you that everything Leviticus tells you here is a very bad idea. But not everything the world's advisors tell you is wise is congruent with God's wisdom. Not everything the world's advisors tell you is wise is congruent with God's wisdom. In Leviticus, God's law declares war on materialism, and the people ignored it. In Amos's day, the prophets of the Lord declared war on materialism, and the people ignored it. Jesus himself declared war on materialism, and we ignore him. Living complicated, expensive lives is dangerous. It's directly dangerous to the people in our lives, to people we don't even realize we affect, and it's directly dangerous to our spiritual lives as well. It places things and ego and the adoration of other people above God's kingdom. The kingdom that we pray every week in the Lord's Prayer would be here on earth as it is in heaven. In my own copy of Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline, which some of us are reading together this summer, there is a quote that I have highlighted four different times in four different colors. It says, the person who does not seek the kingdom first does not seek it at all. I also have written in the margin, ouch, in great big letters. I've read that book every couple of years for 15 years, and every time that line stops me in my tracks. So how do we let go of those other things we are seeking first? How do we accept real freedom from our prisons, prisons we may not even know we are in How do we seek God and God alone? How do we participate on this war against stuff of the world that doesn't matter in the kingdom of God? How do we stand up for those who don't have when we have too much? I am going to continue to quote Richard Foster throughout this series. And if you want to find out what all my fuss is about, I still have a copy left in the office that you can pick up and we can always order more. But in this same book, he says that there are ways that we can streamline our lives, ways that we can simplify in order to seek God first and to respect both our own integrity and that of others around us. That is what the discipline of simplicity is all about. And that's why seeking God first matters. It is a matter of respecting God and others and ourselves. There are ways to avoid the traps and the prisons in the world around us, and there are ways to be good stewards and to live simpler lives. First and foremost, we receive what we have as a gift from God. It is not ours to own. It is God's. This is what the year of Jubilee was about, a reminder that everything we have is a gift from God. We must know that it is God's business and not ours to care for what we have. And we must make our goods available to others. There's a quote that says, if our goods are not available to the community when it is clearly right and good, then they are stolen goods. We rob those around us when we refuse to offer them 
the things that we have to spare. We can buy things based on usefulness rather than status. There's another ouch written next to this one in my book. I can't tell you how much I would love to have an Apple Watch, and I just can't make the usefulness argument on that one, my friends. <laughs> it's a hard one. Usefulness versus status. And it's hard to even figure out where those lines are in a world where it says that we have to have all of these things. What is truly useful and what is simply about fitting in. Reject anything that is producing an addiction in you. Many people are affected by drug addiction and alcohol addiction, but there are so many other things food and television and coffee, so many things that can produce an addiction in us that may come in the way of our seeking the kingdom of God. Develop a habit of giving things away. I think we have a fertile ground for that here, having a long-established flea market in which we give the things that we no longer need. But sometimes this even means giving away things that we think we might need or things that we just really want to hold on to for the sake of someone else who needs it. Refuse to be propagandized by the custodians of modern gadgetry. Again, I feel your pain if this is one that makes you squirm. My husband is probably agreeing with that right now. Learn to enjoy things without owning them. Take advantage of the parks and the libraries and ways that we can participate in things and enjoy the world around us and the art and the culture around us without just filling our homes with more stuff that's going to be used once and tossed aside. Develop a deeper appreciation for creation. There's a whole world of wonder outside. Look with healthy skepticism at buy now, pay later. Sometimes you may have to finance a new roof, and that is right and appropriate. But sometimes you may need to double think if you're planning on financing something like a large screen TV or another car when yours is fine. Obey Jesus' instruction about plain, honest speech. And this is a hard one during election season when just about everything we're seeing on the news is rhetorical, mean, and dishonest. Reject anything that breeds the oppression of others which sometimes sadly means even certain stores or brands or companies are rethinking where the things we buy come from. And it comes back around to shunning anything that distracts you from seeking the kingdom of God first, because those who do not seek the kingdom of God first do not seek it at all. Simplicity is so much more than just reducing the clutter in your house, although that's important and that's a good start. It's more than just not having a lot of stuff. I don't expect you all to go home and throw or give away everything that you own. That's not at all my intention, although sometimes that is a part of it for some people. It's about freeing yourself from the prisons of what other people think, what you have and what you think about yourself and how awesome you are. It's about investigating your motivations for the lifestyle you live, for the things that you have, for the way that you use them, the ways that you share or don't share them. It is about refusing to play the world's status and power games. 
It's about setting aside all these things to seek the just God who we serve, the God who loves every one of us equally. I saw a quote this week that summed it up very nicely. It says, every day the world will drag you by the hand, yelling, this is important, and this is important, and this is important. You need to worry about this, and this, and this. And each day it's up to you to yank your hand back, put it on your heart, and say, no, this is what's important.